Hello and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris. And uh, this is a special episode because this is, wow, would you believe this is episode number five, Chris? Five. Wow. Wow. I feel like we should do some retrospective sort of thing with this where we play like best of clips. We've made it through five. Absolutely. Yeah. Sort of a behind the music uh, type of thing where they'd have all of the inner turmoil that we went through, the disagreements, the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. I think that'd be great. I would love it if we opened it with sort of like uh, when you watch those behind the music episodes or you watch like a a DVD, if you still do, uh, the, the opening montage of the band during like the rehearsal, you know, we've got like towels around our neck and uh, <laughs> you're yelling at me, you're feeding back big time. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And uh, were we rolling on that? But yeah, I feel like we need to do something like that. Oh, exactly. Um, exactly. This is momentous for a variety of reasons. Uh, yes. Uh, as, as we said, it's episode number five. Uh, also, it's uh, day number 119,000 of the pandemic quarantine. <laughs> um, so we're, we're almost at 120,000. Very true. But most importantly, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, uh, today, as we record this on April 26th, marks the birthday of my beloved co-host and, and dear friend of 36 years almost that would be you christopher so happy birthday it is yeah well thank you thank you very much it's uh you know it's probably the weirdest birthday i've ever had uh being locked (laughs) down here but uh you know i guess anyone that you do have is uh it's a good thing it's better than the alternative right these days i'm not so sure but (laughs) yes i'm I'm gonna take it's true and you know it's interesting because we you and I sort of plan a few weeks out of, of how we're going to do these, uh, these podcasts. And so we know what, what album we're going to focus on what week, but we never really lock down an exact day, date and time until probably within 24 to 48 hours of the recording. And um, I was thinking about it because having uh, the, the album that we're going to do a deep dive on tonight, having it fall on your birthday and really just two weeks after mine and we were born the same year. Um, it's sort of ironic in some ways because it's an album that I think really deals with topics of uh, getting older, a uh, little bit of disillusionment with, with life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think really a, a sort of recurring motif of having to adjust to a, a new set of, circumstances or having to adjust to a new lifestyle, but really yearning for the way your old lifestyle was. And um, last but certainly not least, it's an album that was created by two fellas who have been for the better part of their adult years, dear, dear friends and close collaborators. And those two fellas are Elton John and Bertie Toppin. And the album is from 1973. It is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. So after that rather um, epic introduction, <laughs> uh, birthday boy, some introductory thoughts on the album. No, I think you're. I think you're right with that. I mean, it's it's a song about lost innocence and disillusion. I'm not a song, but a uh, also an album about 
lost innocence, disillusionment, uh, yearning for the past, trying to make sense of things. And what what better time to go into an album like that than on a birthday during a uh, during a pandemic? <laughs> uh, it's kind of perfect. Um, the, you know, it is. It, it really the the album is man. It is. It is quite an album. I mean, 17 songs, you're looking at uh, an hour and uh, hour and 16 minutes. It is, it's an event. Um, and, and there's all sorts of stuff in here. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a carnival experience of an album. I, one of the things listening to it again that really struck me was how, uh, just kind of how all over the place it is um, and, and not necessarily in a bad way, but there's some stuff that's incredibly polished and smooth. And then there's a lot of that Elton early days, honky tonk kind of stuff. That's just like, you know, fun, drunk in the bar room, piano man stuff. Um, sure. Yeah. It really covers a heck of a lot of ground. What blows my mind about the album, you, you said it, 17 tracks. So it's a double album, which really the double album, starting with the Beatles' uh, White Album in, what was that, 67 or 68? Um, that kind of ushered in an era in the 70s where all the big artists were doing double albums. Mm. And uh, this was Elton's take on it. But here's what's amazing. So this album's released in October of 73, only like seven or eight months after his previous album, which was Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player. Uh, oh so Elton releases really, like, if you think about it, three studio albums because you have this double album in one year. That's incredible. Uh, and, and that's, it is incredible. It, it just blows my mind that, that you could crank out songs. And in this case, and we're going to get into the album um, further, but most of the songs are really quite good. And as I was listening to it over the last five, six days, this is what struck me more than ever. And, and, and bear with me here as I'm going to get all philosophical and, and, and deep on Please you. Please do. Um, okay. <laughs> so I feel that in the 1970s, there were a handful of major, hugely successful artists who would release an album like this an album that really had this recurring motif of, of disenchantment, disillusionment with success, fame, excess, and a yearning for a simpler life in a simpler time. And I think it's, it's not coincidental that this happens in the early to mid seventies. And I think perhaps it's a result of the letdown of the, the shattered dream of the 1960s, the hippies mm -hmm. that, that never really quite had any legs mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, didn't have any, it didn't last into the 70s long enough. And so the 70s would ultimately become an off the wall decade of excess and disillusionment. And so many artists would have an album like this. But for my money, this was one of the first in that series of albums to be significant and to be successful. Because if you think about it, Chris, this comes out in 1973. Mm -hmm. A year later, Pink Floyd releases Wish You Were Here, which is really all about uh, their, their disenchantment as a band, their disillusionment with the music industry, and all about Sid Barrett, their founding member, who went insane from doing too many drugs because he became so famous so quick. 1976, the Eagles uh, release Hotel California. Same idea. Uh, 1979, 
Super Tramp, Breakfast in America. I think same idea. But this album really tackled these topics first. And for crying out loud, the opening line of the album, you know what it is, right? The roses in the window box have tilted to one side. Everything about this house was born to grow and die. Uh, I mean, when you start with that, (laughs) you can only go up. And then they do an entire song. And this is arguably the most popular song on the album devoted to Marilyn Monroe, who's very much the poster child for the perils of excess and fame and the American dream gone terribly wrong. So there's a lot on this album. I, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, and this, like you said, it is one of the early ones. I mean, this was before, before you even got into the seventies and into like the resignation of, of Nixon and, oil crisis and things like that you know but hostages right yeah you know but at this point you there was still i mean you had vietnam um sure you know all of that all of that stuff kent state um like you said kind of the uh the failure to find that that society that the hippie movement was looking for so yeah I, i think that's absolutely right and i think for elton uh elton john there's i mean there's also as with all of these artists a lot of personal stuff intertwined with that too um and a lot of it has to do with the trappings of stardom and realizing that when you get what you want it's often not really what you want exactly i think that's something that he would continue he would it would intensify i should Mm -hmm. say uh for the for the next 10 15 years in his career he would really struggle with throughout the remainder of the seventies. And then he would really fall apart in the eighties, yeah. but you're absolutely right. I think it, it starts, it, it really becomes evident on this album. Interesting because um, Rolling Stone magazine names this album, uh, puts this album at number 91 in their top 500 albums of all time. And I, I would say that's, that's about right. I mean, I'd maybe go a little higher, but I think that's, that's, mm. that's pretty accurate. Uh, but <laughs> they gave it a, very negative review upon its release. Really? They call it, yeah, they called it, and this was in the review in 1973, too fat to float, artistically doomed by pretension, but redeemed commercially by the presence of a couple of brilliant tracks out of a possible 18. <laughs> they go on to call it a big fruity pie that simply doesn't bake. <laughs> well. Now, <laughs> Given what we know about Elton John these days, yeah, imagine if they wrote that review now. That's yeah, and I mean, listen, there's a lot of this that is a little. I mean, that is somewhat pretentious. I, the opening track is, is is over ten minutes long, and probably two thirds of it is instrumental <laughs> with, you know, sound of winds blowing in the background. Like, <laughs> but that's who Elton John is. He's over the top. He's the you know the ultimate showman. So. You know, I think he does this stuff with uh, kind of tongue in cheek and knowingly. Um, so, yeah. agreed, agreed. It, it was bold to open it with with this epic operatic instrumental. Yeah, um, it's an overture, really, and it's it's very ominous. And you're right, the wind blowing <laughs> in the background, and just the imagery. Love lies bleeding in my. Oh my hands. god! Funeral for a it friend. Yeah. me. Yeah, funeral for a friend. Holy yeah. Christ. Also, when you've got That's when you've heavy. got the title, I know we talk a lot about 
titles that have the parentheses in them, you know. <laughs> um, yes. And this one's got the slash, you know, it's like it's two titles crammed into one. Funeral for a friend slash love life bleeding. Love life yeah. bleeding. That's intense. It's ballsy. To say the least. <laughs> now, it, okay, so you, you make your way through 17 tracks yeah. on this on this double album. Uh, what would you say? Let's start off with uh, with what you might consider a weak point, uh, something, a track that for you doesn't quite cut it or something about the album that you just feel doesn't hold up. Well, I think it, I think there are probably a few tracks you could drop from this. And that's not to say that they're not good songs. I think, um, I think almost all the songs on this are, are really solid songs. Uh, some of them are great songs, but at times it gets a little meandering because um, they're not short songs either. This isn't like Imperial Bedroom, which we talked about last week where, you know, you've got 15 songs, but a lot of them are like two and a half minutes. These are some, some long songs. Um, they are. So one of the ones that I think kind of stalls the momentum of the album for me is the Ballad of Danny Bailey, um, which I actually like as a song, but I just think where it comes in at that point, um, the album, it's kind of starting to stall a little bit. And I think it, it really picks up after that with Dirty Little Girl, um, which is, that's just an insane song. But um, so I, for me, Ballad of Danny Bailey doesn't, doesn't quite need to be in there. It's funny you should say that because my Nadir, my weak point with the album is, is very much aligned with that. I feel that the album falls off starting with Ballad of Danny Bailey. And while I like Dirty Little Girl, I think it's a great song. And by the way, is that song about a pig? Is it? I think that so. would be much. Yeah, I don't think it's about like if it's about a if it's about yeah. a woman, it's pretty it's <laughs> highly highly misogynist. Well, the music was written by a homosexual man, though. So maybe although the lyrics are by a very straight man. Um, and you ever have you ever seen Toppin's wife? Like she's she's a looker, yeah. but that's a whole yeah, other. Yeah. That's a whole is other. That, episode. So it's about a pig. That uh, makes so much sense because I was reading those lyrics and I was yeah. thinking, my God, this is brutal. But it really is yeah, about a pig. Does one of them own a pig? I, I don't know. I, 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 we would have to do some research, and I regret that I wow. didn't. But okay. I feel that what would be probably what side three of the album, let's yeah. say, start with Ballad of Danny Bailey. And though I like Dirty Little Girl, I think that it loses whatever momentum it might have gained there with – all the girls love Alice and your sister can't twist, but she can rock and roll. I just, these songs for me, like you said, they're not bad songs. I just don't think they quite fit with most of the rest of the album. And I just don't think they're on par with some of the other perfect songs on the album. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think um, a couple of those that you mentioned are actually songs that the more I listen to them, like all the girls love Alice and your sister can't twist um, that I actually genuinely like them, but I agree. It, it's just, it's a little too much um, and it doesn't quite, it, it doesn't quite fit. 
It doesn't. And, and it, I think it, the album gets back on track with Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, a song that I don't necessarily love, but mostly because I've just heard it too much. Right. But I think it's kind of the adrenaline shot that the, you know, the fourth act, if you will, uh, needs and yeah. it, it kind of whips you back into shape a little bit yeah. uh, when listening to the album. Now, what would you say for uh, for your sleeper moment or a moment that surprises you on this album? Um, I think there's a there's a bunch of possibilities here. I would go with I've seen that movie too, um, which is a song. Great, I, song. I don't think I'd ever heard that until I really dug back into the album this time. Um, but that's it's a beautiful song. It's really powerful. It's uh, the lyrics are great. Um, you know, it, it sort of it gets into a lover who's uh, basically telling his lover, you know, don't lie. If you think you can lie to me and get away with it, don't because I know what you're doing. I think it's an amazing song, and you're right that it's kind of got this almost cinematic quality. And I think the, the cinematic quality to it is almost a bit of a film noir. It just, the, the, the musical sound to it conjures up that sort of image for me. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. What, um, I love that. Song. Yeah. I mean, if there's, you know, just take a, a quick look at it. Um, because I've seen that movie too. The one where the players are acting surprised saying love's just a four letter word between forcing smiles with the knives in their eyes where their actions become so absurd. So keep your auditions for somebody who hasn't got so much to lose. Um, yeah, it's great. It's great Talpin. And we haven't even talked much about Talpin yet, but, uh, well, we'll okay. get All right, good. <laughs> what's, what's your, um, your sleeper? You know, it's interesting because like you, I, I was, I find that there's a lot of sleeper moments on this album and they were about two or three that I was really torn between one of which was, I've seen that movie mm. too, but for me, ultimately I went with track 15, Roy Rogers. Oh, interesting. Uh, which, yeah, I, I think it's pure catchy pop brilliance. I think it's a very well-produced song. It's incredibly infectious and it's yet another example of that that recurring motif throughout the album, that yearning for simplicity. If you yeah. think about it, it's a song about the basic joys of sitting around with your parents, your siblings, and watching one of the most famous TV shows of the day, of the 1950s, rather. Uh, and it's a, it's a black and white show about a cowboy who saves the day all mm -hmm. the time. And it's that, again, it, it goes back to wanting to go back to one's youth and sort of reconnecting with that time. It would be like us, you know, writing a song about watching family ties <laughs> in, uh, in, you know, my parents' living room or your parents' living room in, in 1986. It, it would be something like that. And, I mean, Toppin's lyrics, we could speak for hours on this, but just the imagery he, he conjures up with, with the lyrics to Roy Rogers. I, I have a passage here that I love. Comic book characters never grow old. Evergreen heroes whose stories were told. Oh, the great sequin cowboy who sings of the plains, of roundups and rustlers, and home on the range. Turn on the TV, shut out the lights. Roy Rogers is riding tonight. Mm. It's beautiful. I love it. it. It's poetry. And that's, that's the beauty of Taupin. It really yeah. is. Taupin, I mean, man, I know we, we got into Elvis Costello last week. Um, 
Taupin maybe even better as a lyricist. I, he's so good. I, I remember when, when Bob Dylan won the uh, Nobel Prize for literature, I remember somebody asking me, oh, do you think a songwriter should be able to win the Nobel Prize for literature? And I don't have a problem with that, but my reaction was, if somebody's going to win it, I think it should be Bernie Taupin. I'll do, I'll do respect I, to I agree with you. He's a great lyricist. But, oh, uh, of course. But Taupin is so good. I, I've raised more than a few sets of eyebrows over the years when I've said to people in conversation about music that my number one favorite lyricist of all time, better than Dylan, better than Leonard Cohen, better than Elvis Costello, in my, my own personal favorite is Bernie Taupin. I find his lyrics to be absolutely beautiful and they really resonate with me more so than Dylan's stuff. Agreed. Does. Agreed. Yep. Now this is probably a tough one, but what's your, what's the Zenith for you? What's the best, best moment of the album for you? For me, maybe this is obvious, but I think the title track, I think goodbye yellow brick road is, you know, a top five Elton song of all time. Um, I think it's, you know, it sums up everything we've talked about, you know, the uh, yearning for simplicity. Um, the lyrics are, the lyrics are fantastic. Um, and I think it's just a beautifully produced song. I, you know, it's so much different than a lot of the kind of honky tonk type stuff that Elton throws in here and there on the album. It's so smoothly produced it's so together. It's really, to me, is a perfect song. It is. Um, it is. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, even just a smidge of the lyrics here. Um, maybe you'll get a replacement. There's plenty like me to be found. Mongrels who ain't got a penny. Sniffing for tidbit, tidbits like you on the ground. So goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, where the dogs of society howl. You can't plant me in your penthouse. I'm going back to my plow. I mean, it's beautiful. I I love the line toward the beginning where he says, you can hear the regret coming out of of his mouth. He says, I should have stayed on the farm. I should have listened to my old man. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that this does so well is you get get Taupin writing some beautiful lyrics that if you just read them on a sheet of paper, they're, they're powerful. But you also see the the brilliance of Elton John um, as a musician, the, the phrasing and the musical phrasing um, and inflections that he uses in the song are so powerful and really, I think, bring out the brilliance of, uh, of Taupin's lyrics. To the... Absolutely. In fact, I, I struggled really to pick a, a zenith on this album because I could make an argument in favor of, of a few different songs. And I was actually up until about a half hour ago going to say that the Zenith for me was for this album was Bernie F and Toppin. I feel like we've, we've, we've gone on and on enough about Toppin and really at the end of the day, my Zenith is the exact same as yours. I think that is a purely and absolutely perfect song. And you mentioned not simply Toppin's lyrics, but you also talk about Elton, the way he handles the phrasing. But for me, what gets it, are, are just the, the melancholy chords yeah. that open the song. And it just really sets the tone of this, this regret, of this, this remorse. And again, I go back to the disillusionment yeah. 
that is just ongoing throughout this album. Even in the even in the songs that are that are more upbeat and happy, there's there's still that disillusionment. But the title track really stands out for me as being uh, as being an absolute masterpiece. I thought you might go with Jamaica Jerk Off. <laughs> I, I mean, you do have to credit them for, for putting a reggae song on the album. I mean, why would these these Brits do? Well, then again, Jamaica is yeah. British colony, yeah. right? So it it makes sense. Um, what do you think about how well the album released in 1973, how well it captures the vibe, the zeitgeist of the era? I think in general, you know, what you talked about with the disillusionment of that era, it captures... But there's a lot of it that I think is, you know, you get these two British guys, right? And um, I, I think there's a lot of it, you know, Elton has this whole honky-tonk thing that's probably a, a little bit of a throwback even at that point. Um, so sure. I, I think to a degree it does, but there's some of it that's, you know, I think very specific to to Elton and uh, his background. I, I think it captures it well, <clears throat> excuse me, not simply because of what I've said a few times in terms of it being one of those albums that has this, this ongoing theme of, of sort of becoming disillusioned. But also, it's, it, as you indicated, the album's very over the top. Uh, and it's, there's a lot of excess on the yeah. album. And I think there was a lot of excess in, in the years that would mm. follow both uh, just in pop culture and seventies culture and in, in the world of Elton John. So uh, I think in that regard, it it does quite well in capturing that moment. Now, do you have any special moments uh, in pop culture related to the album or special memories that you yourself have with any songs from the album? Uh, Well, definitely from my younger days, you know, I am 43 now. Um, definitely a lot. But what I want to highlight is a more recent one, which is the movie Rocket Man, which came out last year. Um, I finally got around to seeing that a couple months ago. And that's a fantastic movie. Anyone who is interested in Elton John or any kind of fan of Elton John should really see it uh, because I think it gives you such a deeper appreciation for for some of these songs when you kind of know more of his personal backstory. Um, really, it's really well done. I, I highly recommend it. I, you know, I still haven't seen it. I, st- I was flying home from, uh, from, from Boca Raton, well, West Palm beach. Uh, this was in February and I was on my flight and, you know, they had the little, little TV mm. screen and I started watching it. I said, oh, great. I can finally see Rocket Man. And uh, 10 minutes in, and the TV stopped working. So I, I never got around to seeing the other you know, 90 minutes of the movie. But those 10 minutes look <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's great. And a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, like with the sort of excesses of the album and, and some places, you know, being really over the top and maybe too much so, um, you kind of learn more about Elton John and, and sort of psychologically, I, I think it's... Uh, that was almost his his way of dealing with a world that where he didn't fit in. He, he very much was like the sad clown where on the outside he was this big, grandiose personality. But behind it, there was a, a hell of a lot of pain. 
And it just adds another layer when you hear some of these songs. Now I have to see it. You know, for, for me, there's a few special moments, but thought of one that's, well, for us, we'll find this lighthearted, but, but maybe others wouldn't, but we're going to tell the story anyway. So, you know, as you know, sometimes I like to go out and have a few drinks at a bar, which I can't do these days. Um, yeah, it's driving me nuts. And sometimes when I've had a few and there happens to be karaoke at the bar, I'll get up and sing. So I like, I like how you make it sound as though this something just, it just sort of happens. Like you're not seeking this out. Yeah. Uh, Right. No, it's, it's a complete random occurrence. Right. So there's a, a karaoke fellow that I had gotten to know, uh, and he actually runs the karaoke. And I would see him a few times here and there at local bars. And, and we would always sit and chat about music and whatnot over a few drinks. And, um, you know, in between singing. And one night, uh, you know, he'd opened up to me a little bit about uh, I don't know if he was having trouble with his wife or if they had just been arguing a lot or something like that and um you know you'd had a couple of vodka drinks at this point well then she showed up at the karaoke bar uh i don't know if it was to sort of you know extend an olive branch perhaps they had been really fighting or if she wanted to check on him or whatever and uh he kind of looked at me he goes oh my wife's here uh, listen i'm gonna get up and sing a song and <laughs> he got up and he sings, and he, he's directing it to his wife. He sings Love Lies Bleeding. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Did he do the full 10-minute yeah. version with the musical intro? <laughs> no, 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 no. There was no funeral okay. for a friend. It cuts right into the, the, uh, the guitar that's kind of the, the segue from, from Love Lies Bleeding to funeral for, uh, funeral for a Friend to Love Lies Bleeding, rather. But uh, the guy's got a hell of a voice, and he did a bang-up job. But for crying out loud, of all the Elton John songs you could sing, you get up and you do Love Lies Bleeding. Wow. <laughs> how did she respond? Do you remember how she responded? <laughs> you know, I was a little tipsy, and I was really focused on just him. And I think, you know, the, the rest of the bar was, too, because – this is not something that you see anyone singing no. karaoke. Like, it'll be one thing if he got up and sang Goodbye Yellow Brick Road or, or Candle in the Wind, Saturday Nights Are Right for Fighting. Or if you went with, like, something on a different album, like you went with Rocket right, Man. Right. Um, wow. Or Leave oh, On. Yeah. But no, he does Love Lies Bleeding. That's, so, I desperately um, want to know what happened to that relationship now. <laughs> That's you know, next time I see him, I'll ask him. I hope he's not listening to the podcast, but I, for some reason, <laughs> I highly doubt he is. Um, so, closing moment here. Uh, what are your thoughts? Perfect album, yay or nay? I'm going to go nay. A little too rambling at times. Uh, yeah, that, that would be my main, comp my main uh, complaint. I think, for me, perfect for its mm -hmm. time because of the excess associated mm -hmm. with it. But I think nearly 50 years later, it seems almost a little overly ambitious and a little mm. bloated. Um, but look at it this way. Law of averages. If 85% of the songs on that album are great, and I would say that they mm -hmm. probably are, that's about 14 fantastic songs out of 17. Oh, yeah. So, oh, you know, you're oh, not doing too no bad. It's, it's one of the great albums. And, you know, consider this. We just spent a half hour speaking about this album 
and we barely addressed the two most popular songs on the album, which are Candle in the Wind and Benny and the Jets. That's true. That's true. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which So I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of a lot of great deep cuts on this one. Absolutely. Well, birthday boy, thank you for taking time out of your uh, pandemic celebration <laughs> to uh, do a deep dive on this Elton album. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And uh, tune in again soon, folks, as we will bring to you another in-depth look at an album that you may or may not want to listen to. But take some time over these next few days when you're at home and listen to all 17 tracks on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> do it. That's all I got, Chris. All right, John. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great night, everyone.